thank you again for joining us this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Mark, and if, uh, if it's your first time tuning in, just happy to have you along today, and thank you for spending this time with us uh, this morning. Uh, we Good to be back. I was out on a guy's fishing trip last week, and uh, man, it was great, but it's good to be back in civilization. There was a whole lot of testosterone and snoring and farting and everything else on that trip. It's just good to be back where it's like normal. So, uh, and to be together here as, as well. Uh, you know, I'm just grateful for Brenda speaking last week. If you were... Uh, if you had a chance to listen in last week, oh man, it was just—it was just really, really timely for our church. If you didn't have a chance, that's the great thing about technology. You can actually go back and relive uh, last week and tune into our podcast there. Uh, just want to say thank you to whoever sent this card to me. They sent me this beautiful card uh, with some really sweet words on the inside and and some actually some really sweet treats on the back too. There's free ice cream. So Beth, I found our anniversary present. Uh, but it's um. Uh, I have no idea who it came from. So if you could shoot me a text and let me know, that would be great. And if you're going to keep it anonymous, just know that I'm grateful and thank you for that. Jumping right in uh, this morning, we're finishing our series called Adrift. We started it five weeks ago. And the reason we started a series that we had actually done before uh, is because um, about well, a while back, the Holy Spirit just brought back a series that I had shared with our church simply because I needed it so much for myself. And as I heard my own words and I studied kind of my own notes, it was like Holy Spirit speak, spoke to my heart through the, that moment to help me realize that I, that I was drifting off the course that he had called me to and uh, lovingly brought me back to where I needed to be. And it's kind of the journey that we've been on. And so uh, I found that for many of others, it, there's similar feelings there. They're the feelings of being adrift. And I think all of us have felt adrift or been adrift in our life in different areas. Uh, the, the definition of adrift simply means to be without purpose or guidance, to feel lost and confused. And, you know, for some that's been COVID, for others that's been in your marriage or in your parenting, uh, for some it's friendships that have drifted apart. Uh, for some it's financially, you've drifted into a place, you're like, oh, how do I get out of this spot? For some it's morally or ethically. Uh, for some it's just life, like you just seem to have drifted away from purpose in life. And like we said, that probably tr- most tragically, many have drifted away from faith, uh, and relationship with Christ, and his heart yearns for us to be back in that spot of relationship. And so we spent some, spent some time looking at that, and what we realized is that drifting, it's easy. You don't have to do anything to drift. It, it just happens, but it takes intentionality to, to get back to uh, where you came from. Uh, people go adrift all the time, and we saw it in the, um, even in the newspaper, even this week, you know, as I'm always looking for different um, stories of people going adrift in boats, this week in Selkirk, like that's like 10 minutes down the road from here, there was on Tuesday of last week, four teenagers were, um, or, or youths, they said, I don't know how old they were, but drifted out a kilometer away from shore on paddle boards. Uh, and the authorities had to be called, the rescue teams had to be called, but they were able to make it back on their own gratefully. But the idea was, you know, when they saw them drifting a kilometer away, it wasn't like, eh, just let them go, you know, because we realized that drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. And if it happens in in the nautical world, it can also happen in, in our lives as well. And so today I want to actually start by finishing off a story that we started with five weeks ago. Uh, Paul Harvey uh, had the radio program where he tells the rest of the story. Well, in week one, we told the story of Jim Honeycutt, who took out his little 12-foot aluminum boat uh, on the Niagara River on July 9th of 1960. But the rest of the story uh, of that story is that he didn't go out alone that day. He actually took two passengers, and their names were Deanne and Roger Woodward. 
Deanne is 17. It was actually her birthday that they were celebrating as they were out there. And they took along little Roger as well, who at the time was seven years old. And Roger uh, couldn't swim, so his mother was like, if you're going to go in a boat, she insisted that he wore a life jacket. And so uh, they, they, Jim had adult life jackets, but he put one of those on, on little Roger as they headed off into the boat. And Jim piloted the boat along the Niagara River. And they went under the arches of the Grand Island Bridge, the North Bridge, which was the unofficial turnaround point for any, any pleasure uh, cruises or, uh, or vessels. Uh, there were some fishermen that were past that, but, but they were anchored and, and they understood that water. But they looked, as they, it says they saw him going by, and many of them wondered, what is this crazy guy doing, like going past where he should have turned around? But they just watched as he uh, went past that. And you know, as, uh, as they were in those waters, Roger remembers that Jim had allowed him to pilot the boat a little bit. And they got into the rougher water of the rapids. And it was at that point where Jim realized this little boat wasn't going to be able to handle this water and tried to turn it around. And Roger remembers the, hearing the sound of the motor hitting a rock and the sheer pin breaking on that little seven and a half horsepower motor. And all of a sudden, they were out of control. He says, remembers the first wave splashing water into the boat and hearing Jim yell to Deanne, put the life jacket on. There was only one. He made sure that Deanne put it on and she only had time to get one strap secured before the second wave came in and tossed them into the fast flowing water. Well, all, all three of them were tossed overboard and Jim, who we learned in week one, did not have a life jacket and him and the boat went over Niagara Falls and, and he perished that day. Deanne, as the boat was tipped, was actually thrown towards the, the only land available, which is actually uh, a place called Goat Island. And so Goat Island, as you can see from the, the map here, is, that, is this, this chunk of uh, land between the two sets of falls. Well, they were over here on this side, and she began swimming furiously towards it. She was a strong swimmer. She had a life jacket on. And there was hundreds of tourists actually watching right from this point here. It's a famous lookout point uh, called Terrapin Point. But that's where they were watching as, uh, as she was uh, um, drifting towards that spot, hundreds of tourists, but there was one man named John Hayes. He was there on vacation from New Jersey. He ran to that edge and he began to yell to her, scream to her, swim harder, swim harder. Deanne actually said later that it was his pleading that made her swim harder and probably saved her life. Right at the edge here is where John was able to reach out and grab Deanne's thumb, but was not able to pull her away uh, from the from the water. And so John Quatrachi was another guy from New Jersey who was there as well. He as well jumped over the barrier uh, and the railing and ran down to the edge of the water to help John Hayes pull Deanne to safety. She was just 20 feet from the edge of the falls at Terrapin Point when they rescued her. What an incredible story. You know, but her little brother Roger, age seven, remember, when the boat flipped over, Roger ended up going the other way, further into the Niagara River. He wasn't as lucky as his sister. And when the boat um, capsized, he said later, it said this, he said, it felt like one minute you're being dragged underwater and you can't breathe. You can't get the air. You're not sure if you'll ever breathe again. The next moment you come flying out of the water like somebody spit you out and then you fall back into the water and it all starts again. He remembered his dad's uh, uh, words in his mind of hold your breath for as long as you can. And he did. And as he would pop out of the water, he could actually see the, the, the hundreds of people watching from Terrapin Point. And he actually remembers saying, I was so angry because I'm screaming as loud as I could and nobody would do anything to help me. He says later, of course, I didn't realize that I was about to go over the Niagara Falls. And a few seconds later, that's exactly what happened 
Roger, wearing just a life jacket and a bathing suit, plunged over 160 feet into the bottom of Niagara Falls. He doesn't remember much of the, of the fall, but he remembers hitting the water and coming back up out and seeing through the mist the outline of a boat, which we know is, is, is the uh, mate of the mist too. And that day it was captained by a man named uh, Clifford Keach, Captain Clifford Keach. And uh, as he heard the words, man overboard, they thought somebody had fallen off the boat, but then realized, no, somebody had fallen over the falls. And he tried to navigate the boat into the area of of water where they didn't typically go in order to to try and reach little Roger. Uh, And realized as they were going there that Roger would actually be pushed underneath the boat if they missed him and could have been caught in the propellers. He took the boat around into the more dangerous water and allowed the boat to drift so that he could line up with Roger in order to, say, to, to be able to get close enough to throw a lifeline to save him. While the crew threw a life ring out to Roger, first time too short. Second time they threw it again, again too short. Third time, finally they were close enough that Roger was able to grab onto that and he was saved. What a powerful, powerful story. They call it the miracle of Niagara to this day. You know, 20 years later, Roger would tell us that he said he, he had another uh, moment where he felt like he was saved again. And it's actually the day that he met Jesus Christ for himself. And he says uh, to, in, his, in his writings, he says, you know, it wasn't the hand of fate and it wasn't the hand of luck. It wasn't the spirit of Liliwala. It was the spirit of the living God that saved my life that day and saved my sister and gave us the hope that one day we would come to know him. Man, what an incredible, incredible story. You know, and today as we close this series I'd like us to focus on the two groups of people that were there today. You know, there was a group that I want to just call the watchers. They're the, the, the crowd of tourists on Terrapin Point that just watched as the, the people uh, uh, went by. The, the, the tourists on the Maid of the Mist who just watched from, uh, from their vantage point as others went to the rescue. And the second group of people were, were those people, the rescuers. You know, John Hayes. John Quatracci, you know, we know their names today as a result of it. And Clifford Keach as well. Captain Clifford Keach, there he is with little Roger. You know, and actually there's one other person that saved a life that day, and that, that was actually Jim Honeycutt. You know, and, they, and, and uh, Roger and Deanne remember th- this day as well as being the day that that man was, was a, a hero by giving the life jacket when there was only one giving it to Deanne and saving a life as well. You know, in, in this series, we spent the first four weeks actually just looking at ourselves focused on what do you do if you're adrift? What do you do if your marriage is in trouble or if you're financially in trouble or if your relationship with Christ is in trouble? What do you do about you? And I think the temptation can be that we just simply uh, put all of our focus on ourselves only. And, and the truth is that there's also others that uh, we need to focus on. And that, that is the people around us that are adrift. The people in our lives that are drifting in their marriages, drifting financially, drifting morally, drifting in their friendships, drifting in their relationship with Christ or in, in their relationship with church and with faith. They might not even realize it. You know, I didn't really realize that I was drifting and probably had been drifting for quite a while before uh, that realization came to me that I was adrift. You know, today I want to take just a quick look at some of the characteristics of the people drifting around us and that our, our eyes might be drawn to them as well. So here's a couple quick thoughts. If you're writing some notes, here's, here's one of them. The characteristics of people that are adrift around you, number one is this, they often don't, they often don't know what they don't know. So often we look at people and think, oh, well, they know better or they, they got themselves in that spot. People don't know what people don't know. 
I remember years ago, as I was studying for this, just smiling as I remember this story, but years ago, I used to drive a, a transport truck full of ducks down in New York City, and uh, there was one day that I remember as I was driving down, uh, uh, it was the, the, the uh, I heard the CB radio go off, and it was another trucker, and he said, hey, y'all, check out that chicken hauler bowling for cones. And I was like, man, chicken hauler, that's usually referencing, you know, the chicken trucks, like the type of truck I'm driving. And I'm like, but I, what is bowling for cones? I've, I've never heard this term. It must mean some lingo. And as, as I looked out through my rearview mirror on the right-hand side, all of a sudden I saw the traffic cones that had been set up were all just flying off into the ditch. I was hitting them with the front of my truck and not even realizing it. I was probably listening to Toby Mac or some of that other Christian punk music from back in the day. It was so loud I didn't even hear what was happening until that voice came on. And I realized, oh, I'm, I've drifted off of the lane where I'm supposed to be. And I began to pull the truck back into the safe area of the road. And I'm grateful for that because those cones were actually set up for a, br- a bridge construction. And had I stayed in the lane I was in, I would have ran straight into the median of that bridge. You know, it could have been tragic. Until, and, I, and I wouldn't even have known that I was drifting until that voice came into the cab. And, you know, I think for others, that's the same thing. In their lives, they don't realize they're adrift until a voice comes in that's, that, that, that makes them aware. You know, Jim Honeycutt and Roger Ward, Woodward, they didn't realize the danger that they were going into. They didn't realize that as they passed that bridge that there was, that there was imminent danger just in, front, uh, just in front of them. And the people that are around us, they may not realize that they're adrift in their marriage. We might see it, but they don't. You know, or that their friendships or the way they're speaking about their spouse or, or whatever, or, or maybe it's, you know, the fact that they're drifting into an eternity without Christ and they don't even know it. You know, as you see the fishermen and the tourists, they just simply watched as these people drifted on by. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to the Jesus followers in the very first century. And he actually, he ends his letter with these words. You can read it in your own Bible if you take a look. It's, it's, it's in the letter of James, chapter 5, verse 19. He writes this and he says to them, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth. What, what is he saying? If someone was with you, brothers and sisters, but wanders, they were on track, but now they're, they're wandering. It's that idea of drifting. He says, brothers, if, if, if you see somebody who wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings them back from wandering is actually saving that person from death. Again, that picture, that drifting leads to, to danger and to death. He says, it'll bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And, you know, that's the warning to us as well. If there's someone among us that's drifting, whoever brings them back, whoever helps them to change their course and change their direction is saving a soul from destruction. You know, how different would the story of Roger and and Jim and Deanne be if the fishermen had actually called out to Jim as he was going past them under that bridge? You know, if the fishermen had just yelled, whoa, 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 hey, buddy, you, you don't know it yet, but, but you don't want to go that way. You don't know what you don't know, but we know that you don't want to go that way. Man, how different would the story be? You know, Paul, who was a man who hated Jesus followers and then, then became one, he became a, a powerful encourager to the Jesus followers then and to this day, wrote a letter to the Jesus followers in Galatia. And in Galatians 6 verse 1, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, 
he's saying this idea of being overcome is like, it's not what they planned to do. It's like, it, it's kind of, it's gotten over them. It's like as that, that boat was t- tipped over and they ended up in the, in the waves. They'd been in water before and the life jacket would be fine, but not in this spot. In this spot, they're, they're overcome. He says, if they're overcome with sin, he says, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And he says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. He says, if you think it's beneath you to try and help others, you know, or that you've got more important things to do than helping others. He's like, you're missing the point. You're not that important, but someone else is. Someone else is. And, you know, he says too, like, he says, when you see someone who's going adrift, he says to reach out and, and to help them. And he's very clear on how he decides that. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, point the finger and say, hey, look at you, how come you haven't been at church? Or, hey, you know, you, you know you're, you're backsliding or, you know, your marriage is in trouble or whatever. He says, it's not that way. He's like, gently, humbly, let them see the love and hurt in your eyes for them, your care, your consideration for them. Let them see it in you because the truth is it could be you. He says, so how would, you want, how would you want to be reached out to if it was you? And he says, do it gently and humbly. And he says, you know, he says to, to, to do something to help. Because the, the, the alternative is, what would we want someone to do if, if we were adrift? What would we want them to do? Would we want them to be like the, you know, those fishermen or the penguins from Madagascar? Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. They have no idea what they're getting into. Just smile and wave. Nah, we would be... We'd be wanting them to, to reach out to us. So maybe for you, you know, you've got a friend who you can see that their addiction's getting out of hand. And you see it. You know, if you see it, God's probably allowing you to see it for a reason. You know, maybe you, you hear how your friend is talking about their spouse. Or maybe you hear them talking to their spouse in a way that you're like, it's uncomfortable. Man, I've been there too many times and not said anything. Only to watch couples drift into divorce. You know, it's the idea of friends maybe that you know who have drifted away from church. You know they're not watching anymore. You know that they're not apart anymore. They're, they're, they've drifted away, and, and really the, they're drifting away from faith and from Christ. And maybe for you, it's, you know, you have people you just see, it's feel, they look like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And you're like, ah, I see it. What, do I, what, what can I do? You know, the truth is this. They, they often don't know what they don't know. It's not that they plan to get into those situations. They, they, they get overcome. And you know, the truth is, the second thought is this. They don't know what they don't know, but most of them also can't save themselves. They almost always need a lifeline. You know, there's that show, that game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Where if you got into a spot where you didn't know what you didn't know, right? You're in that round where I don't know the answer, and I don't know, I have no idea. There was the opportunity to call for a lifeline. And and it's that same thought that people who don't know what they don't know, and they're hopelessly adrift, that they would have the opportunity to call for a lifeline. You know, Deanna and Roger, they were in a spot where they could not save themselves. Deanna needed those men to run down, break past the barriers and reach out for her and scream for her to reach out to them. You know, Roger needed a literal lifeline thrown to him from that boat multiple times before he was able to, to grasp it and come back into, in, into the boat to be rescued. And you know, the truth is that's why Jesus came to the planet, came to the planet for us because we could not save ourselves We're all like that, trapped in sin, overcome by sin, just burdened and broken and destroyed by it on the inside. No matter what we try to do, we cannot save ourselves. 
And he came to throw a lifeline to us, a chance, a hope that if we would grab on and we would trust, <laughs> there, there could be a different story. You know, that's why Jesus came, to start a rescue mission. Luke tells us the account of where Jesus met with different people. And he's, he talks about this one, this one account where he comes across a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is not a nice guy. He's not like the guy you want as your best friend because he would stab you in the back and take all your money at the same time. He was a guy who was like a traitor and he was short and nobody wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus knew it. And then he heard that this man named Jesus was coming along. And so he decided to, to climb a tree if just, in, just maybe he could see Jesus for himself. And doesn't the shock of all shocks happen as, as he's up there kind of hiding out that as the crowd, um, there, there's the crowd and as Jesus is walking along, he looks up into this tree and he sees Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus looks down and he sees Jesus and it's like, <gasps> he's not going to stop. And Jesus stops and says, hey, Zach. He's like, who, me? He's like, no, the other Zach in the tree beside you. Of course I'm talking to you, Zacchaeus. I want you to come down because I'm going to your house today. You know, the truth about Jesus, he didn't care how he found people or where he found people or what state they were in. He's like, Zacchaeus, I'm tossing you a lifeline. You have a chance today to live a different tomorrow. That's what he did all the time. You know, he met a, he met a woman who was caught in adultery. They brought her to him to be judged. And what did he do? He tossed her a lifeline saying, if you'll trust me, <laughs> I don't condemn you. To Peter, you know, the blue-collar worker, he said, hey, you know what, Peter, come follow me, come trust me. Your life can have a whole lot more purpose and meaning than it does right now. You know, to the criminal hanging on a cross beside him, to completely deserving of the death penalty he was about to, to, to succumb to, reached out to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, here's a lifeline. You trust me, man. This, this moment will end, but your eternity will go on forever with me. You know, he gave people a chance, gave people a lifeline. You know, <laughs> the truth is in our story earlier, there's hundreds of people who just watched as others ran to toss a lifeline. You know, what about, what about the people who are drowning around us? What about the people who are drowning around us? The ones drowning in despair, the ones drowning in depression, the ones overcome by addiction, the ones drowning in hopelessness, the ones drowning in unbelief, the ones drowning in doubt. What about them? You know, they, they don't know. They may not know that they were adrift. I didn't realize I was. But what about them today? Do you know, the truth is they need somebody to toss them a lifeline. Third, Jesus called us to join his mission. He didn't just come to start when he called you and me to join in. Jesus' final words to his first disciples was this. And those words ring true that those disciples would tell others. And so my, my hope today is that as I embrace this, that you would as well. Mark 16, verse 15, he says, Then he told them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. And anyone who believes, anyone who trusts and is baptized will be saved. You know, anyone who refuses to trust will be condemned. But he says, you know, the good news is a lifeline. Go out and throw the lifeline to as many people as you can. Keep throwing out the lifeline of the good news and, and that people can know Jesus for themselves. And it says anyone who grabs onto that from wherever they find themselves, they will be saved. You know, the truth is the lifeline won't throw itself. The thing is that God's not just going to go and oh, he'll just save whoever. He told his, his followers, you go and throw the line. You go and throw the lifeline. Um, Romans, Paul wrote to the Romans, he explained it this way. He says this, verse, uh, Romans 10 verse 13, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Basically, everyone who grabs on to that lifeline and says, Jesus, help. He says, they'll be saved. 
It's good news for anyone listening today. You don't know Christ. That's the simplest prayer you could pray. Jesus, help. Man, he's, he, he, he will save in, in a powerful, powerful way. Verse 14 says, but you know, how is that possible? How can people call on the name of the Lord? How can they reach out for the lifeline if, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless someone tells them. It says, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's the idea of the message today, that how beautiful are the, are the feet of those who bring good news, the ones today being sent out as, just as a result of this message that we would go and hand the lifeline. You know, Roger, <laughs> Roger would not have survived without being thrown a lifeline. You know, how do others around us have the chance to find safety and salvation if they aren't thrown a lifeline? Jude, who wrote the second last, we have it as the second last letter in the, in, in the New Testament. He says this in verse 22. He says, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. He's saying to the Jesus followers, this is what you do in verse 23. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment and show mercy still to others, but do with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. What does he say? Different types of people require different things. Some, it's just that simple thing of showing mercy to those whose faith is wavering and coming alongside them. But he says, for others, it's like you're rescuing them from the brink. They're right on the brink where you're reaching for them. He says, see them in that way and understand that that's what you're reaching for. You know, another 20 feet in Deanne's story could be completely different than it was. You know, there might be many people around you who are on the brink. And you're like, well, what do I do? How am I supposed to save them? The truth is this. We don't actually save them. That's not on us. You know, Jesus himself couldn't save everybody who he came into contact with on the planet. That's, that's not our job. You know, it's the, Jesus came up to a rich young ruler who said, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? He's asking Jesus himself. And Jesus is like, well, here's what you need to do. And he's like, that's too hard. And he walked away and he just left the lifeline hanging there. You know, for others, it was the criminal on the cross. There was another one who looked over and instead of reaching for a lifeline in his last moments, he just mocked the lifeline instead and went off into eternity without Christ. You know, we, we can't save people. We can't save our family members. We can't, all we can do is offer them a lifeline to say, hey, <laughs> Jesus loves you. He cares about you. You're in a dangerous position, but there is hope. And here it is. You know, it's the thought that he's called us to help to be rescuers. And as we close this morning, I want to leave you with this thought. Why should we? Why should, maybe you're like, Mark, that's your job. You know, you're the guy who preaches and you're the one who's supposed to save. And, you know, we said that at our board meeting the other day. We're, we're like, when we're talking about our home groups and meeting in our house parties, that, that, that's a little bit more difficult to invite somebody to. You know, one of our board members was saying, hey, you know, it, it, before I could just bring them to church, Mark, and then you do the job of saving them. <laughs> it was easier. But now I've got to invite them to my home. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the, kind of the lights came on. He's like, but you know what? That's what Jesus called us to. And it's truth. You know, the, there's two real good reasons why we should be rescuers. Number one, there's people who need to be rescued around us. And the second is this, and probably even more important, is that the reason that we should be rescuers, I think we should be rescuers, is because we've been rescued. It's simply because we've been rescued. If we just remember where we were without Christ and what he's done in our lives, man, that's a great reason to want to reach out to others. Let me close with a story. There's a guy named Max Lucado who tells a fictional portion of the story to set up this, the truth of the story. He, he tells the story of a man named Ed. Ed would walk the piers uh, at, at uh, every Friday evening and he would go with a bucket of shrimp and as he'd walk the piers, he'd feed the shrimp to the seagulls and people would look at him saying, why are you wasting you know, good shrimp on the seagulls. And every time a seagull would eat the shrimp, he would say, thank you. 
thanking the seagulls. Man, this guy's out of his mind and he has way too much money to burn. What What is his deal? And after the seagulls would leave, after the shrimp was gone, old Ed would still be standing there as if lost in another time and place. And if anybody had mustered up the courage to go and ask this crazy old man what he was doing, he possibly would have told them the truth of this story. See, Ed is actually Eddie Rickenbacker, a World War I flying ace and hero. In World War II, him along with Jim Whitaker and six other men were on a mission of delivering messages to the, to the front lines and their plane went down. Jim Whitaker writes about it, how the, the, these men were sitting in, this, uh, in these two rafts and they had four oranges and that's all they had. Miraculously, they all survived the crash, but they weren't going to survive long. Their raft was nine feet long. The, the sharks were 10. They, it was like scary. It was all, all they could do to, to keep their wits about them. It says, on day four, after the oranges had long run out, the heat of the day, Captain Cherry, or the pilot of the, uh, one of the pilots, he s- sat there and he said, they did the daily devotion. And he had shared about some things and they prayed to God for a miracle. And then they lowered their hats to cover their eyes from the beating sun and they just were going to rest out the, uh, the, the heat of the day. He doesn't remember when exactly, but Ed remembers waking up to this, the sound of something landing on his head. And as he saw in the eyes of all of his crew, crew members around him, something delicious had landed on his head. They were salivating as they saw the seagull, and he just said, I knew inside, I just got to catch it. And so he says, slowly, I, I brought my hand up to my chin, and I rubbed my chin, and then I, I brought it to my ear real carefully and slowly. And he says, I just brought it to the side of my head, and I grabbed it. He says, he wrung its neck, and they made a meal out of it. And it wasn't much of a meal. Each of them got one bite. But they used the intestines to catch fish, and they used those fish to catch other fish. And for 24 days, they survived because of one seagull who had flown a great distance, hundreds of miles away from shore, to save their lives. And as a result, he would walk and feed all those other seagulls, saying, thank you for the one that saved my life. You know, I think about us, and I think about how Jesus came so far to save people like me. He left heaven to give his life on a cruel cross to pay my punishment so that I could be free, so that I could be saved, so that my life could be so different than what it could have been. I'm grateful for that. And today, if you don't know him, I'm simply saying that here's a lifeline. His name is Jesus. He's not asking you to join a church. He's not asking you to follow a religion. He doesn't even want you to do that. He just wants you to know him, to know the God of the universe is life itself. Life itself. And so today, I believe there's two groups of people here. One, maybe you find yourself in that place. Your life is a topsy-turvy mess. You don't even know which way is up. Say, man, man, I could really use a lifeline. Or maybe for you, you're like, you know, my life seems fine, but I just don't seem to have any real joy. I don't know really what the purpose of my life is. I don't know if there's life after this life. I think there is, but I don't, I don't really know. It's just, I'm just sort of just alive. I'm just living. It's, it's nothing to it. He's handing you a lifeline. That if you'd put your trust in him, believe in him, decide to follow him instead of your own way, you would be saved. He's tossing you a lifeline today. And then second, to the Jesus followers listening today, oh man, can we remember why we're still here? 
Even though we're doing this online, we've been called to join the mission to reach out to the people that Jesus loves, to hand out the lifeline. You know, the rescuers that we look at, John Hayes, John Quatrachi, Clifford Keach, man, we know these guys' names today because they chose to be rescuers. Hundreds of others were there. We have no idea who they were. We know these men because they chose to be rescuers. So which one will you choose to be today? A watcher to watch the men or people around you at work, to watch the people's lives that, that have come across yours, or to say, you know what, now I'm going to live more intentionally as a rescuer. When I have opportunity, I want them to know that God loves them, that Jesus cares about them. And if they, if they engage that lifeline, that I'll, I'll tell them the truth of the gospel and tell them my story. You know, maybe you'll be initiating some difficult conversations with others, just simply saying, hey, you know, I care too much about your marriage to not say this and, and throw them a lifeline. Or maybe it's a friendship that's gone astray. You're like, you know what, I'm going to send that text. Or it's a parent and child where you're like, we haven't talked in a while, but you know what, I'm going to take the, the high road and say, you know what, please forgive me. I want to restoration and tossing them a lifeline. You know, which will you choose to be? The one who watches or the one who says, no, the world needs a lifeline and I'm here to throw it. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to call you our Heavenly Father, that you rescued us and not just rescued us and just left us, but you brought us into family, that you fill up every emptiness inside of us, that you stir up what the, the desires of life itself in us. God, thank you for that. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for taking guilt and shame and kicking it to the curb. Thank you for pouring your love in our hearts and teaching us how to love one another. Father, I pray today that your spirit would have spoken, that we would be courageous to, to respond in obedience to you. Lord, as we live this life with you and for you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for saving me. It's in your name I pray. Amen.